This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek graphic novels collection. Get your first volume, Countdown, for only $4.95 when you sign up today at eaglemoss.com slash missionlog. This episode is also brought to you by Harry's. To get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel, go to harrys.com slash missionlog. That's harrys.com slash mission log mission log a roddenberry star trek podcast episode 233 starship mine welcome into mission log a roddenberry star trek podcast i'm john champion and i'm ken ray each week we watch an episode of star trek taking it apart from messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether there's any other pop culture property it resembles. This week, Starship Mine, the one where Captain Picard outwits Hans Gruber and has planned to take over Nakatomi Tower. Interesting. I had an intro in mind um, along a similar line. Okay, uh, let's hear it. Uh, This week, Starship Mine, starring Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard as John McClane, and Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard as Hans Gruber. Also, Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard as Mott the Barber. I love that. That's great. All right. He's a multi-layered person. He is. He is. Uh, We've got trivia coming up in just a moment. But first... But first... A word about the official Star Trek graphic novels collection from our friends at Eagle Moss. For the first time ever, the best of 50 years of Star Trek comics have been brought together in this extraordinary new collection that spans decades and features everything from the first Star Trek comic to adventures coming out even as we speak. So we've talked before about how these are beautifully presented. We're talking hardback editions that absolutely will look fantastic on your shelf to proudly display your graphic novel collection. And we've talked about some of the incredible writers who are featured here. I want to tell you about a couple of titles in this collection that will absolutely make you excited for it. So Deep Space Nine, you had the Blood and Honor series written by Mark Leonard. Now, of course, we know who Mark Leonard is. Now, I love this storyline that he decided to set a story in the 24th century Deep Space Nine concurrent with the son of the Romulan commander that he played. So you've got that character's son, Janak, on a diplomatic mission to Bajor, and then you've got a murder mystery happening on Deep Space Nine. And this is all written by Mark Leonard. We should let people know, too, because, I mean, you are, you're dyed in the wool Star Trek. For people who don't know by any chance, mm-hmm. Mark Leonard is most famous for playing Spock's father. But the first time we saw Mark Leonard was in the original series when he was playing the Romulan commander in uh, Balance of Terror. Oh, you're good. You're good with the title. Yeah. I know. That's kind of crazy, right? That was yeah. without looking at know, anything. Right? But you're saying, so it's the son of that character is turning up in the 24th century telling that they're telling here. Yeah, indeed. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And so what I love about this collection is you get sort of the stories between the stories. So stuff like that. And then you get uh, the Next Generation series called Intelligence Gathering, uh, where you have these little side stories with Riker and Data and Worf and LaForge. Find out what they're doing. This is all set during the fifth season of Next Gen. So when you and I talk on the show, Ken, about how, well, what happened in the week in between this episode (laughs) and this episode? Well, Well, now you know. So that's the kind of stuff that you find here collected for you and and that's not all because not only do you get the stories but you get kind of the behind the scenes and get bonus issues within those bound volumes now all the publishers are here like we've mentioned before gold key marvel dc malibu paramount comics wildstorm tokyo pop and idw uh, the, the ones who are carrying the comics banner right now uh, you even get the british strips from the early 70s included in this Now, how do you get started? I pretend to hear you ask. Well, let me go ahead and actually tell you. Start your collection today with Volume 1, Countdown, for only $4.95 with free shipping. Uh, This is before the J.J. Abrams 2009 Star Trek reboot uh, or sequel, whichever one you want to call it. Uh, Letting you in on the circumstances that drove Nero and Spock to travel back to the 23rd century and in so doing, kick off the Kelvin Universe. Bonus content for this one includes that first Gold Key Star Trek comic book that we talked about earlier uh, from 1967. 
Other editions will arrive twice monthly. They're delivered straight to you, and you may cancel your subscription at any time. So for details on the entire collection, including a host of exclusive free gifts, and to order, visit eaglemoss.com slash missionlog. That address again is eaglemoss.com slash missionlog. And a huge thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. Want to tell us what your favorite Star Trek comic story is? Want to tell us something else? There are a bunch of ways to do it, and I'm going to give those to you right now. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Again, before we get to trivia, we didn't have this in our notes, but I feel like we would be remiss. And, you know, a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, people will be like, wow, this happened then. Um, we got to give a shout out to two shows. Yeah. That have, that have joined us now on we the, um, well, I mean, we weren't the Roddenberry Podcast Network last week, uh, but now we're part of the Roddenberry Podcast Network because um, Women at Warp and Priority One have now, uh, they're, they're now both Roddenberry Star Trek podcasts uh, because Roddenberry Entertainment uh, liked what they did and they like what we did. And so we all got together and and now we're, we're a bunch of shows, not we, just the one. At least three. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a bunch. It's more than a couple. Yeah. Oh, it absolutely is. Would you say? Would, maybe it's a few. Okay, let's say a few if you want to. So two is a couple. Yep. Three might be a few. Not going to call it a plethora. Might call it a quay. Uh, I, I see. I don't know what a quay is, and it's definitely not a plethora. It's one less than a plethora. Oh, is that, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So four would be a plethora. Five would be a bunch. And with six, you get egg roll. Hey, everybody. Uh, John Champion has this thing he does every week. It's, oh, wait, wait, wait. So we're really happy to have them aboard. That's yes. what I wanted to say. And and for anybody who's listened to us who has not listened to those shows, they're both available on, you know, wherever finer podcasts are found. Uh, Women at Warp, you're looking for, and Priority One. Uh, both great shows. Both shows that I thoroughly enjoy. And I personally... I'm very happy to, uh, that th- th- we're a thing now, that we're a set that we can sort of say to people, well, here, here's a set of things. Set, by the way, it could also be. Here, here. I'll, I'll second that. <laughs> Somewhere around the quay. All right. I mentioned that John Champion does trivia, and now I'm going to shut up and let him do that. All right. Today's episode, Starship Mine, was written by Morgan Gendel. I feel like Morgan needs no introduction, but remember, this is the second of his only two contributions to Next Gen. The other, of course, was The Inner Light. And this episode was originally titled Revolution, and remember, The Inner Light was a Beatles reference as well. Now, Ronald D. Moore had a hand in this episode. He did the rewrite. In fact, it was a pretty intense rewrite with Ronald and Michael Piller, even as the episode was being shot, delivering a lot of new pages, there were considerations about budget, about action, about violence, all those things that they were mulling over while the show was actually being shot. The episode was directed by Cliff Bull. We just saw his work a few episodes ago with Aquiel. And uh, Ken, you know, for a guy who collects toys, and I'm excited about the most toys, we get the return of the Veron T disruptor. That would be the little... Laser welder that he was using? Uh, no, uh, actually, Kelsey is holding the Veron T disruptor a little later. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But uh, but so close. The little tiny deadly weapon. And um, hey, there's a little story detail here. Poor Hutchinson. We'll we'll just you know shelve that for a moment. Let's talk about that in the next segment after we learn what happened in the story. And um, Ken, you know that I love to point out food in Next Gen. And uh, we have a listener on Twitter who pointed out the uh, Raisinets, uh, black licorice, and white wine on the table at the reception. And he was just (laughs) not happy about that party at all. I would add to that um, strawberries, uh, yogurt-covered raisins, uh, just some weird fruit and random vegetables. So just no, I'm not interested in attending that party at all. Thank you, though, if you're planning to invite me. Now, let's talk about guest stars. 
Calvin Hutchinson, played by David Spielberg. David was born in Texas, and he started acting on stage by about the age of 20. Now, by the late 1960s, he was working pretty regularly in TV, mostly in soap operas and guest appearances here and there. 70s and 80s brought just a ton of work, and of course, because of that, you will find credits in there like The Love Boat and Chips, because... Yeah, 70s. And uh, he was in one of those very special episodes of Family Ties playing Uncle Arthur in this show oh. titled Give Your Uncle Arthur a Kiss. Yes, that was David Spielberg. Uh, golly, I remember that episode. Did not remember that was him. Ugh. Sorry to bring back that memory. Now I hate Hutch. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you didn't have reasons to hate Hutch already. Uh, later, David will turn up on ER, Ally McBeal, and even a recurring bit on Baywatch. Sadly, we lost him in 2016 at the age of 77. Now, we have a whole lot of bad guys to talk about. We have uh, Marie Marshall playing Kelsey. This guest appearance falls relatively early in her career. She had a recurring role on Silk Stockings, and afterwards she would have a recurring bit on Babylon 5. Now, uh, Tom Nibley plays Neil. This is among just over a dozen guest appearances for him in his on-camera career. Now, uh, Tim Desarn, who plays Sattler, he's one of those constantly working character actor types. Early on in shows like uh, The Equalizer, Quantum Leap, and L.A. Law, those led to recurring jobs on Dr. Quinn, Murder One, and Deadwood. He's appeared in major movies like Fight Club and The Cabin in the Woods, we will see more of him in Trek. He will be back for one more appearance on Deep Space Nine and two on Voyager. We have Patricia Tallman playing Kiros, and we have actually seen her before. She had a bit role uncredited in the episode Power Play. She was a security guard, and she will be back again on Next Gen in another small role. We're not done with her, though, because we will see her again three times on Deep Space Nine and twice on Voyager. She has appeared in some awesome cult and B-movies like Knight Riders, Army of Darkness, and the 1990 version of Night of the Living Dead. And many people might know her for the recurring role of Lita Alexander on Babylon 5. Glenn Morshauer as Orton. What? <laughs> what? Seriously? Seriously? Wow. Yeah. I thought, you see, I thought his only turn... In Next Gen was as one of the uh, one of the guys behind the horseshoe. Oh no! Oh no! No no! The the shower is back as Orton. It's the makeup. The makeup threw you off. Um, Did indeed. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean he is one of those actors who obviously very recognizable, except when he's in makeup. Um, he does a lot <laughs> of those military and authoritative type characters. Uh, he's been recurring on Supergirl, Agents of Shield, Jag, and they just keep going and going. Now, yeah, and as you mentioned, we met him in peak performance. He was uh, a random crew member. He was behind the horseshoe, and we will see him again in Voyager and Enterprise, plus a bit part in Generations. And, uh, hey, he was in Under Siege, so today's episode is familiar ground for him. And finally, Tim Russ plays DeVore. Now, he had auditioned for the role of Jordy LaForge and had come back for subsequent auditions for other guest roles. This is his Star Trek debut, and we will see him again in a couple of small parts, but then obviously he will be back for the entirety of Voyager, and we will get to talk a lot about Tim Russ then. Starship Mine. Not to be confused with Enemy Mine. Enemy Mine is best confused with Darmok. Starship Mine is best confused with Die Hard. Prologue. Boy, leaving a starship is difficult, but it's got to be done. The Enterprise is space docked in the Remler array. It's due for a Baryon sweep. You see, when a starship gets a lot of time at warp speed, it can accumulate a significant amount of Baryon particles. It needs to be cleaned. Swept, if you will. Of course, that would be deadly to living beings. So it's everybody off. All the people, their plants, Dr. Crusher's medical what's-its. The dolphins, please, somebody tell me they remembered the puppies. It's a bit like Kirk remembering Thanksgiving dinner for the crew of the original 1701. The number of issues brought to Picard's attention seems endless. But it ends. 
Having set command functions to go offline, and with very little time left, Picard finds himself alone on the bridge. His bridge. Nobody ever sees the Enterprise this quiet, unless it's crashed on a planet or at the end of the Las Vegas Hilton. The captain takes it in with what seems a mix of pleasure and pride. Then the crew setting up for the sweep comes in, and Picard makes a quiet exit. Act 1. The crew, minus Mr. Worf, who called dibs on not having to go, is at a reception on Arcaria Base. The reception is being thrown in their honor by Commander Hutchinson. You can call him Hutch. The party actually reminds me of one I went to once. It's a funny story. This guy, total loudmouth, would not stop talking about the most inane stuff, and everybody kept walking away from me. Hutch is a master at using many words to say very few things, and no one has any time for it. Well, no one except Data. Before they left the Enterprise, Data had tried a bit of small talk with Captain Picard. The android said that he'd noticed that humans like to fill uncomfortable silences with words, words, and still more words. Picard said Data's small talk had seemed a bit forced, though if he wanted to master the skill, he should shadow Hutch. Data does, and soon he's making small talk with the best of them. He and Hutch make large amounts of small talk. And where is Captain Picard? Well, Hutch's small talk included the revelation that there are horses at Arcaria Base. He's gone back to the Enterprise to get his saddle and change into riding clothes. On his way back off the ship, though, he finds something amiss. Someone has left an ODN junction box open, and some cables are severed. And the crew preparing for the Baryon sweep is still here. One of the crew assures Picard that everything's fine, though he seems wise to Picard's suspicions. He goes to stop Picard from leaving, but Picard knocks him over with his saddle, roughs him up a bit, then Vulcan nerve pinches him into submission. There's a minute left until the ship's power shuts down, just enough time to get to the transporter room. There are 30 seconds until the ship's power shuts down, just enough time to set transporter coordinates. There are 10 seconds until the ship's power shuts down, just enough time to beam... Oh, nowhere. The power shuts down, and Picard is stuck aboard the Nakatomi. I mean the Enterprise. Act 2. The Baryon sweep has begun, moving slowly from the back end of the ship to the front. Space and time will eventually run out for Picard. The guy Picard knocked unconscious, he's got a radio on him, and Picard can hear everything the bad guys are saying. Their leader, Kelsey, is... their leader. We don't really know much about her right now. Meanwhile, Picard's prisoner has woken up, but he won't talk. Well, he will talk, but he won't give Picard any information. Picard knocks him out with a hypo and leaves him to die once the Baryon Sweep sweeps through. Now to make his escape... Oh! One of the other bad guys catches the captain. Back on Arcaria base, Data and Hutch are still yucking it up to everyone's amazement. All they do to them is talk, talk. Talk, 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 talk. All they do to them is talk, talk. Meanwhile, Geordi is picking up something weird with his visor. A sort of strange energy reading coming from under the food table. Hutch's assistant, Mr. Orson, says it's nothing to worry about, though Geordi won't let it go. So Orton and a compatriot whip out the jammies, stun Geordi and Hutch, and take the party and the parties in attendance hostage. Act 3. The bad guys are in engineering doing... something. Probably bad guy stuff. Gruber, I'm sorry, Kelsey is barking orders when the bad guy who caught Picard brings him in. Though Picard is pulling a Gruber himself, identifying himself not as Picard, but as Mott, the barber. He cuts the hair of all the young... <clears throat> he came back for his saddle, you see, and, uh, well, he's, um, here. Kelsey puts one of the bad guys on guard duty, guarding the barber, then sends another to search for the guy Picard left for dead. Kelsey then goes to oversee modifications on a containment unit. The mod is so they can carry trilithium resin in it. Of course, the Baryon Sweep is still inching its way up the ship, but that's no worry. They'll be protected by a field diverter. Fun fact. None of the bad guys are any good at handling hostages. Down on Arcaria Base, Riker, Data, Crusher, and Troy are practically talking openly and out loud about wresting control of the situation from Orton and his who. The plan. Crusher will modify Geordi's visor to emit an audio pulse that'll knock everybody unconscious. Riker says, get her done. Casually. 
Back on the Enterprise, the bad guy guarding Picard is just as inept as Orden and his who. Picard is able to take a laser welder he'd been hiding in his pants and insert it into a wall socket behind his back without the guard noticing. He sparks it, setting off containment protocols in engineering. The bulkhead is closing, though Picard stops to destroy the diverter before making his way under the falling door. Bad news for him, though, his really inept guard makes it out of engineering as well. And the chase is on. Picard's crawling through Jeffrey's tubes. His guard is close behind. The captain forces open a bulkhead and, hey, look! It is the ceaseless wall of the Barian sweep, inching forward, mere meters from Picard. Act 4. The bad guy chasing Picard catches up to Picard's jacket. It's laying on the ground. Studying it, that guy's a sitting duck for the incredibly slow-moving sweep. Picard hears the man's scream as he moves down the hall, plotting his own escape. In engineering, Kelsey has just learned of the diverter's demise. Her henchman, we'll call him her henchman, says they should get to 10 Ford. It's the last place that'll be swept. Kelsey agrees, but they're taking the trilithium resin with them. Stuff's really unstable. Her henchman is freaked out at the idea of carrying it, but he'll do what he can to stabilize the containment. Meanwhile, one of Kelsey's other henchmen says he thinks Mott the Barber isn't a barber. The other henchman just found an officer's communicator badge. Picard, meanwhile, has dropped by Worf's place. The Baryan sweep has made energy weapons useless, but Worf has a ton of kinetic weapons on hand. Picard grabs a crossbow. He also hears Kelsey on the radio telling one of her crew that they're taking the trilithium resin to 10 Ford. Picard hops on the mic and is like, whoa, hey, bad idea. Trilithium resin is crazy unstable. You need special equipment to move it. Kelsey says she'll manage, though if Mott wants to stop stuff from blowing up, he should stop trying to stop them. He says he'd rather blow up the Enterprise than see the trilithium resin fall into the hands of terrorists, since that's all they could be. Who else would want something so harmful? Yeah, whatever. Stay out of our way. Kelsey out. Now, to his credit, Picard is out of Kelsey's way, though he's also cut off her quickest access to 10 Ford. Time for another radio standoff. Kelsey points out that he is in as much danger as she is, though Picard says he'll be leaving on her ship. Because she does have a ship coming, right? She says that ship won't be big enough for both of them, so Picard says he'll send her regrets. Back on Arcaria base, Crusher's still working on the visor. She needs a distraction, though. Like Orton and his who need to be distracted for a moment. So Riker starts an incredibly short fight... Basically, nothing is happening on Arcaria base. Back on the Nakatomi, Picard shoots one of the bad guys in the leg with Worf's crossbow. He's knocked unconscious, though, thanks to a toxin on the tip of the bolt. Picard goes to check the guy for cash or something when, ah, he is caught again by the bad guy who caught him the first time. Act 5. Kelsey is an even worse person than we thought. She kills one of her own henchmen, the one we were calling her henchman, for no apparent reason, except that she's bad. And she's not going back for the one Picard shot with an arrow either, because she's bad. Now she and Picard are finally face to face, and Picard drops the whole Mott thing. He offers Kelsey a deal. He'll go as her hostage if she leaves the trilithium resin. He'll be worth a lot in bargaining for her cause. Except no, he won't. Her cause is profit. She's not a terrorist. She has no use for the trilithium resin, except to sell it to people who do have uses for it. On Arcaria base, Crusher is finally able to set off the sonic pulse created by Geordi's visor. The crew, Orton and his guy, are knocked unconscious, leaving Data the only one able to still walk around. He goes about disarming the former captors. Back on the Enterprise, Kelsey, her last remaining helper, and Picard finally reach 10 Ford. And here, the helper stumbles on a trap set by Picard, a sort of flash strip on the floor. The helper is knocked unconscious as Picard and Kelsey start to fight as the Baryan sweep starts to sweep 10 forward. The fight ends with Kelsey beaming off the Enterprise onto the ship Picard figured she'd arranged for. He calls frantically to Arcaria base. Um, shut down the Baryan sweep. Hi, this is Captain Picard on the Enterprise. Please shut down the Baryan sweep. Hey, guys, shut down the Baryan sweep now, please. 
with death a very few inches away. His call is heard. The Baryon sweep is terminated. Data calls to Picard, asking what he knows about the person who just beamed off the Enterprise onto a small scout ship. What Picard knows is they won't get very far. In the scuffle with Kelsey, Picard was able to remove the stabilizer from the Trilithium Resin Containment Unit. As it pulls away from the Enterprise, Kelsey's ship blows up. It blows up real good. How do you say, yippee bad people, the end? I think I know why Trilithium is in such demand. <laughs> why is Trilithium in such demand, John? It is one better than dilithium. <laughs> That's why. Because these other blokes, you know, they got it turned up to two. There it is. All mm-hmm. the way up, all the way up, all the way up. Where can they go? Nope, that one goes to three. <laughs> it's one better, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly one better. And I, I totally get their plan. Step one, get on board the Enterprise. Step two, steal the trilithium. Step three, profit. <laughs> That's nice. That's pretty much That's it. That's how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, I mentioned Hutch earlier. Yeah. Poor Hutch. Hutch is dead. Um, how, is, how is Hutch dead? So, it's, I, you know, we don't really know because uh, Orton and his guy yeah. had those uh, sort of vaguely V rifles, you know, yes. from, uh, from the show V. And they were clearly set to stun because everybody else is just really like, ow, that, that hurt, you know. Uh, Jordy. No, they might be set for worse than that because only two people got shot. It was Jordy and Hutch. And Jordy's like knocked out. Yeah, Jordy's not in good shape. Yeah, yeah. but Hutch is Hutch is dead. Um, and and we got the body count. Um, we didn't see Hutch die. We didn't even hear a diagnosis from Doctor Crusher to say <laughs> he's dead. Right. Um, but it was scripted, and, and in fact, we would have had you know a scripted moment with pronouncing Hutch dead and him dying. Uh, but instead, if you blink, you'll miss it. But there's a bit about halfway into the show where the camera just moves over this blob on the floor, his corpse covered in a purple uh, blanket. That's what that was? Yes, that was Hutch. Okay, because I actually remember seeing the purple thing, but it, it was it, it wasn't enough time. Because I remember seeing the purple yeah. thing, and I'm like, where are we? What? Is, oh, okay, <laughs> we're there. So I didn't even register that that was his body. Well, now... No other mention of Hutch. All right, well, now I don't hate Hutch anymore, I guess. Although I still hate him on that episode of Family Ties, but... Sure. Well, that that's reasonable. Yeah. I'm so glad that you asked where the dolphins went, mm-hmm. um, because I, I wish I knew. Um, I wish I knew where the puppies went. And what about Livingston? Livingston. Livingston. Doesn't ring a bell. Okay. <laughs> All right. I guess we'll just move on. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think, is Livingston real? As opposed to what? Like a holotype simulation? Yeah, as opposed to like a, you know, mechanical thing or a fake thing or yes, a hollow thing or some sort of video thing. That's actually a great way to do it. Because here's the question. How does Picard feed Livingston? You can't get into the top of that thing. You don't see any bubbles no. going behind it. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying. I mean, I've often wondered whether Livingston, like, <laughs> like, like, like when what's his name? Um, uh, come on. The, the captain I hated so much that other people seem to love. Jellico. Yeah. When Jellico is like, get that fish out of there. I thought I wanted somebody to go, oh, no, no. The remote's in the desk. You just change it to whatever you want. You want a tiger? You want a, tiger? You want a yep, spider? That's yep. <laughs> good. Right. It gets cable, too. So really knock yourself out. Except we don't get cable because we're a free floating ship. So, mm, yeah, mm-hmm. you pretty much just get the yeah. enterprise information channel. Right. <laughs> Constantly. <laughs> Our current speed is. Yeah. Uh, Do you like to eat a lot? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Here's here's a shot from the bow. Still black, still full of stars. Right. Uh. Yeah. Um, There's a great moment of Picard rushing out of the reception and just running into the wall Mm -hmm. before he he gets out. It's so... uh, It could have been overplayed for comedy, but it's so perfect. Mm -hmm. And I, I just had to point it out because anybody else could have ruined that moment and made it really slapstick, but it's so genuine the way it's delivered there. I'm curious, though, why everybody... Oh, two things really quickly, actually, on the whole small talk thing. First of all, small mm-hmm. talk is not the worst thing ever. 
Sure. I mean, like, had they come and they were required to be there and Hutch had not said anything but just stared at everybody, I think they would all say, well, that's much worse. The other thing is, boy, is data growing up fast, right? Like, last week he found out he could dream. So this week he's written a subroutine. He's like, I'm just going to make small talk all the time. Yeah. Because I forgot to mention that. Well, I failed to mention it. I didn't mention it. I chose to not mention it. The reason he's making small talk is because, of course, he still wants to be more human. And so mm-hmm. he's like, oh, I noticed that humans just blather on about stuff. So I wrote a subroutine to blather on about stuff when, you know, nobody's saying anything. I like his imitation of the body language. It's a little over the top. That is a little, you know, obviously played for comedy. But I like that he's matching the physicality with the, the nonsense. Yeah. Well, you know? doing it directly behind him is the part that was over the top. Data doesn't need to do that. Yeah. He can watch it happen and then do it. But then when he goes into like all the mannerisms and stuff that he's doing with Beverly or that he's doing with Riker or when they finally put Hutch and Data together, that is a tremendous amount of fun. And it's also, yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of neat that Hutch doesn't see it happening. I mean, he, he, it's almost like he's found a kindred spirit, honestly. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, somebody right. who finally seems to understand everything I say, only because it's being mirrored back to him, I think. Yeah. And we have a Vulcan nerve pinch delivered by a non-Vulcan to a non-Vulcan. It's, I, I thought it was a thing that only Vulcan could do. Did he not pick that up from the uh, mind meld with um, Sarek? Oh, yeah. See, that's good. I assume yeah. that's how he did it, because... yeah. Yeah, because you're right, because Kirk, I think, joked to, joked to Spock at one point, or not joked, actually, just said, you'll have to show me how to do that sometime. Mm-hmm. But we have no proof that he ever did. Then again, when Bones was walking around with Spock, you know, in his in, brain, in his head. he was yeah. unable to do the Vulcan nerve pinch. Right. So, right. hmm, don't think about that too hard. All right, I'll try not to. <laughs> um, what I, the other thing that I will think about very hard, though, is that uh, Dr. Crusher keeps a loose phaser in the drawers with her medical equipment. Um, you might remember that not that long ago, uh, we learned that tricorders have their own shelves, not just their own shelves, but like huge amounts of shelf space mm-hmm. um, in a dedicated cabinet. But phasers are everywhere. jordy has got one in the planter. Uh, Beverly's has got one in a random drawer. So I'm like, oh, here's a hypo. Here's uh, some loose change. And here's uh, a weapon with life-ending ability. Yeah, I'm a little bit more concerned, actually, that Worf has weapons that nobody can stop. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because yeah, I talked yeah, about the fact... very true. Because uh, Tuvok, or whatever his name was, Deval, DeVos, whatever his name was. <laughs> Devor, yeah. yeah uh, Tuvok. Tuvok, you know, says to Picard, Mm -hmm. yeah, your your phaser is not going to work. It's just it's just a tiny bit concerning because, I mean, we've seen before where the ship has disabled, you know, phasers. It's disabled energy weapons when it needed to. What's going to stop a crossbow? Well, yeah, that's yeah. uh, Nothing. Yeah. Or or say if Picard had just decided to uh, beat somebody to death with Worf's ball chair. (laughs) Yeah. He might have also grabbed the batleth, just saying. There are other things he might have used. I'm wondering, though, about like letting, letting weapons like that onto the ship. But, mm-hmm. you know, he is the security chief, so maybe he's the guy who clears it. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> and this for me. Do I think I should have this? Yes, I do think I should have this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me just let me sign here. I have permission to own one of these. Me. Okay. Yeah, that's the way it works. Um, I'm so glad that Mott the Barber gets so much attention in this episode. This time played by another actor. Yes. Um, Really exciting. I won't say a better actor, but I will say he brings something different to the part. He does. Yeah. With the party, we were talking about the party a moment ago, and it's cool that we're bouncing Mm -hmm. back and forth to that, because so did the episode. Um, Mm -hmm. Has Jordy never eaten... Ever he he may not have yeah because or or yeah. did he not eat because he knew they were they were going to a party he didn't know that it was going to be like raisinets and yogurt covered <laughs> raisins as you say but I mean it was just like small plates and so he's just like he's just eating and eating and eating yeah that that was so strange and you just want to say Jordy you're not out of phase anymore was, <laughs> you know if you've got you can eat. The food is permanent. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, though, yeah. maybe he just didn't eat all day because, you know, he heard there was going to be a big spread. It, you know, it, it was good work that they found Picard's comm badge in the Jeffries tube. And then that that led Kelsey to say, oh, oh, well, this guy's a Starfleet officer. But honestly, shouldn't Mott have one of those, too? Yes. 
because how else would the computer know? Like, let, let's say that I'm on the bridge and I ask the computer, locate Mott the Barber. Well, the computer is going to have no way to locate Mott the Barber <laughs> unless Mott the Barber has a com badge of his very own. Right. So that should be standard issue. <laughs> All the computer is yeah. going to be able to say is you locate Mott the Barber. Right, right, right. Um, oh, and let's point out that uh, Orton is the worst at guarding his prisoners. Hmm. He's just not cut out for that job at all. They're all really bad at guarding prisoners, actually. That one woman is really good at catching prisoners, but they're all really bad. Of course, Picard's really bad at not being snuck up on by that one woman, actually. Um, I actually found myself wondering whether they were ever supposed to take prisoners, though. Like, I wonder whether the weapons, like, like down where Orton was, like, were the weapons only there in case something went wrong? Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. otherwise, yeah. there really shouldn't have been a problem. And, of course, the people who were up on the Enterprise didn't think anybody was going to be there because they thought everybody had evacuated because of the, uh, the, the sweep. Right. And everyone had it was just because Picard came back. Um, the thing that I found really interesting, actually, is maybe they had the weapons there, you know, in case something went wrong, but of course, because they had the weapons there, something did go wrong, right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's what Jordy picked up on. Now, it's got to be a weird life for Jordy if he's getting weird, like energy signatures off of every phaser he ever sees, ever. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because they're all over the place, even though, you know, you can't just walk around with one. A lot of people do on the Enterprise. Plus, every time he looks at Crusher's desk, he's going to be like, what, are you, what do you have in there? But. <laughs> It was actually, I mean, it almost struck me as like borderline message possibility thing, like Luke taking the lightsaber into the tree and Empire Strikes Back, hmm. you know, hmm. like, because, because, you know, Luke asks what's in there and Yoda says only what you take with you. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so he takes the lightsaber. And so then, you know, there's, there's fear and there's hate and there's fighting and there's all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if Orton had just been chill and like not even brought the, brought the uh, energy weapons. Probably no problem. They might've gotten away with it. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Right, exactly. Well, except for Picard in this saddle. Yeah. Hey, there's a, kind of a funny moment, and, and it's not, I, it's just because of the blocking, the way the camera is there, and then you've got people in the foreground, in the mid, and then the background. But there's a sort of awkward bit where uh, Beverly, you sort of don't know who she's talking to when she says they need a distraction mm-hmm. when she goes to get a glass of water for Jordy. I mean, it's a line for Deanna because Deanna then moves over to relay this to Riker to say, hey, we need a distraction. But literally, Beverly was closer to Deanna by sitting next to Jordy, then walks clear by her to deliver this line. And Deanna's like several feet away from her then just, so it just looks like that line is delivered into nowhere it's like wow you're you're just saying this to are you saying it to orton because it <laughs> kind of seems like you're doing here orton but they were just fine letting them stand there and talk i know oh, there were yeah. a couple of times where they were supposed to look like they were sort of talking surreptitiously but i mean they let them all stand together let them all sit together mm-hmm. they're not even trying to whisper they're not no. turning away they're not doing i mean it's like like are orton and his people hard of hearing Right, <laughs> it's like it's a matter it's, of course. They're staring right at them, which is yes. hilarious. They're just staring yes. right at them, and they're all doing the casual like Rikers. Oh, I'm just going to stroke my beard because yeah. I can't be saying anything dangerous when I'm stroking my beard. You know. Yeah. Then again, uh, Syndrome or you know Louis C.K. or whoever it was that was guarding Picard when he was in engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like like Picard's like wiggling around and he's got his hands behind his back, and then he like and the guy looks at him. Picard's like, "Ooh, taking my hands out from behind my back." It's like really. <laughs> I mean, these are these are like the worst. I mean, again, they were there for a heist. They weren't there for a hostage situation. Yes. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, because you can pretty much do whatever you want to in front of these guys. Yeah. As long as you're not walking around. They're like, well, they, well, look at him. He's just sitting. He can't possibly be doing anything. And actually about Picard, you know, it, it is interesting that Kelsey recognizes the name Picard. He says, I'm, I'm Jean-Luc Picard. Oh, Captain Picard. Oh, oh. But nobody knew what he looked like. Like, nobody thought, okay, we're going to go to the Enterprise, we're going to do this stuff. Hey, I wonder who's on that crew. I wonder who we need to steer clear of. <laughs> Again, assuming yeah. that, uh, you know, there'd be nobody there. But, wow. Well, well, these are bad guys. They probably didn't buy the, uh, you know, the lunchbox and the trading cards and the action oh. figures and the T-shirts and, um, yeah. and the posters and the standees and, uh, yeah. you know, all the stuff that, uh, that you and I grew up with. Was it before or after Starship Mine? That Picard recorded the return of Bruno. 
Hey, I'd like to take just a moment to mention one of our sponsors this week, Harry's. I have had the pleasure and the privilege of trying out some of their products. I've mentioned before their five-bladed cartridge, their ergonomic razor handle, their shave cream, and their aftershave balm. Now, here's the story on Harry's. For decades, Big Razor has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. You probably know what I'm talking about. You go into a drugstore to buy razors, and they are incredibly overpriced. So two ordinary guys who felt like they were being ripped off and they were tired of it decided to do something about it. So they created Harry's. That would be Jeff and Andy. They said, we can do this better by bringing razors directly to the customer. So by cutting the prices in half, instead of paying $4 or more per razor, you're paying about 2 bucks. So you get the benefit of having these products brought directly to you. And that's how they can ensure quality. They bought their own blade factory in order to be able to deliver. So here's what you can do. You can try Harry's for free. Harry's is so confident that you will love their blades, and, and I am too, quite honestly, that they are giving you their trial set for free. All you have to do is cover $3 in shipping. So what do you get in that free trial set? Well, you get that ergonomic razor handle that I mentioned. You get a cartridge with five precision-engineered blades and a lubricating strip and trimmer blade built onto that, the rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. So that is a $13 value for you to try absolutely free. So here's what you do. Stop messing around and get started shaving with Harry's today by claiming your free trial offer. That 13 value for free, just cover the shipping. You'll get the razor handle, the five blade cartridge, and the shave gel by going to harrys.com slash mission log right now. Yeah, right now. All you have to do is go to harrys.com slash mission log. And we do thank Harry's for sponsoring this week's show. I will say when I was doing the recap, mm-hmm. I wanted to have a whole bunch more Die Hard jokes in there. Oh, of course you did. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I haven't seen Die Hard in quite a while. Like, I yeah. wanted to call all the bad guys Johnson. <laughs> okay. But then I remember they were bad guys, whereas Johnson and Johnson were just the dumb FBI guys. They mm-hmm. weren't bad guys. Mm-hmm. They were just inept. Which, in fairness, would have been okay with Orton, except, you know, Orton and his who, I felt like had to be done. Yeah. Bas- oh, no, basically course, what I'm saying, John, is I need to watch Die Hard many more times. Sure you do. Sure you do. A lot of people consider that to be their favorite Christmas movie. Maybe you should, you know, double feature that with Wrath of Khan. Mm, no. No? Okay. <laughs> All right. No. I All actually right. do a traditional Christmas movie as well as Wrath of Khan. Or, okay. I mean, and that, that other one can change. Well, okay, so maybe Die Hard. All right. All right. Get back yeah. to me in December. We'll see what happens. Okay. We'll we'll, we'll talk about it. No, I get it. Um. I, so a few weeks ago, you and I had a, a real problem with Mission Log, and we, we debated, we discussed, we, we talked about what to do with this segment of the show, the, the meaty, important stuff when it came to Aquiel. What do we do, right? Okay, and, and now for totally different reasons, I feel like I'm kind of in the same place where I feel like, uh, do you remember the Chris Farley show on Saturday Night Live? <laughs> yeah, that was cool. Right. So, right. So I feel like that with this episode. So I, I could right. just go through the entire episode and, and instead of finding a moral message and meaning, I would say like, hey, um, so remember that part where uh, Tuvok had the laser gun pointed at Picard, but Picard threw the saddle at him and beat him up. That was that was great. I like that part. That was so cool. So yeah. I'm going to try not to do that during this uh during this segment, but we'll, right. we'll see how far I got. Hey, listen, dude, if you've got a parade, I will be the first to rain on it. So okay. don't worry. Right. We, I, we got you. Okay. Okay. I, okay. I, I got your back here. Um, trilithium resin is an extremely toxic byproduct of our engines. Mm-hmm. So great to hear. We're still doing that in the 24th century. I, I look, I'm just going to assume <laughs> that there is a way to deal with the toxic runoff. Yeah, really? Okay. How do you suppose you do that? Because they, they, they weren't doing a trilithium resin sweep. They were doing a barium sweep. I, maybe they take it out in the middle of nowhere and beam it into the middle of a sun. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's good. That's my solution. That's not bad. <laughs> maybe. Hey, it worked for Superman and Superman 4. Maybe it works for Picard in the 24th century. Yeah. Well, we could all learn something from Superman 4. 
<laughs> yeah. Like stop at three, actually stop yeah, at two, right. maybe. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Hey, um, about that opening scene in this episode, um, everybody running around doing stuff, stressed out about work. Now, you could say, and when I first watched the episode uh, for this week, I, I kind of felt like, well, this is a little out of step of what we've seen for the 24th century so far. Everybody, at least on the Enterprise, is so good at their jobs. There is no stress. They know exactly what they're doing, and they're ready for this barium sweep. They're just like, oh, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're fine. But I love this moment. It, it, in some weird way, it grounds this show in a way that it really hasn't been before. Um, I, I think about those early moments in Star Trek, the motion picture, when Kirk first boards the Enterprise, it's chaotic and people are yelling and they don't notice him and stuff doesn't work that there's something so real and relatable. I just love that moment in the motion picture. And as strange and out of place as it felt for this episode, when I rewatched it a few times, I yeah, I, I really liked. And then of course, who can't like uh, Jordy and Worf competing to get uh, well excused from the reception? A again, just a very real, very human moment for a non-human character. Yeah, that was actually pretty cool. Although, um, I, I guess it was maybe more. Was it more human for Jordy? It was like, oh man, me too. Uh, <laughs> right now, too bad. Yeah. Uh, by the way, props, uh, Lieutenant Junior J sneaking in about a segment or a second, excuse me, of screen time. I think she was coming off the turbo lift while mm. Picard was headed back to his ready room. Always Good for her. Always wonderful to see her. Yes. Yes. The best part of that whole bustle thing that's happening on the ship is you do get that quiet moment between Picard and his bridge. Yeah. Yeah. At the very end, I really like the. Because he's always in command and he's always proud of everybody. And, you know, we've talked a million times about how you know, he's destined to be a starship captain. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. it's, it is who he is. It's what he does. Mm -hmm. That minute, though, and it's probably not even a full minute, but that, you know, 30 seconds or so when he is actually just walking around appreciating where he is and what he does without all of the bustle, without having to answer a million questions. That's actually a, it's, it's a great moment. And, it, and, if, and if all of that bustle doesn't do anything except for set up that moment, it's worth it. The other thing I will say is, yes, usually they have everything sort of down, but they really have to get every living thing, including themselves, off the ship. And that's going to create a bit more because, I mean, literally the life of everything, including Livingston, maybe. <laughs> um, the, li <laughs> right. the life of everything is, is sort of at stake now for this thing. So this is, I mean, yes, they faced off against the Borg. They faced off against the Romulans. They've flown hither, thither, and yon. They've, they've saved people from crashing into suns. Yes. But, I mean, those are always, like, you know, reacting sort of like, oh, we have to do this quickly. We have to do this now. Or mm -hmm. here's this unexpected thing. They kind of get, I mean, like, the life of everything on that ship is literally at, at sort of at risk, and they've got lots of time to think about it, and so that might actually create some of the bustle you're talking about. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's, it's played really nicely. Yeah. You mentioned uh, the body count earlier in this episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tuvok says, <laughs> sorry, Tim Russ says. <laughs> that never gets old. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. not, not for me. Yeah. Uh, nope. Tim Russ says, you're Starfleet, you won't kill me. Mm -hmm. Except Picard does, right? I mean, I guess he left him there thinking, oh, his people will find him and they'll save him. But then, like, when he left the uh, when he left his jacket and how did he get past that guy? Let's not talk about that too much. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about it. Yeah. When he left his jacket and that guy found the jacket and then that guy died. Um, I mean, Picard killed him. Uh, Picard killed uh, Kelsey just outright mm -hmm. um, when he shot the guy with the bolt. And knocked him unconscious, and he knows how little time there is. I mean, he actually is going around killing people left, right, and center, isn't he? Pretty much. Even if he can sort of tell himself, well, I didn't kill him, I left him there. Like, he actually says to, uh, he says to Kelsey, he's not dead yet. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. I mean, but he also knows that they have, like, zero minutes. Actually, I don't see how the guy could not be dead, because the, 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 the Baryon sweep was moving further and further and further up the ship. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I kind of thought that. I, it's a little weird to see Picard like that. And it, here's the thing. If he had had some kind of a catchphrase, like, yippee-ki-yay, Mother Vulcan, then, <laughs> yeah, I'd, you know, I'd have a big problem with the body count. But um, there's a moment when Settler dies 
from being exposed to the Baryon sweep. And we just hear him scream off screen. Mm-hmm. And the camera's following Picard in that dark corridor. And it's just a... It's a really real reaction. It's good, it's thoughtful, it's believable, and you see regret and resignation in his face. Mm-hmm. It's not a John McClane moment. It is purely a Picard moment. And we needed Picard for that moment. It would not have played if it were Riker or Worf or just, um, you know, Data the, uh, you know, senselessly killing robot, as we learned at the end of... Uh, the most toys where he can just, you know, pull a gun and start shooting. I think you needed Picard. You you needed him for that moment. And that sort of drove home the reality of the situation. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on it. It's just, there's a, well, <laughs> he was let off the hook a tiny bit. I will say, mm-hmm. I mean, you're right. He did, mm-hmm. he did play it that way. And certainly, I mean, he's trying to figure out how to not kill Kelsey right up until the end. I mean, he says, yeah. leave the trilithium here. I'll go with you. This will be better mm-hmm. for you. And then once he finds out there's no way that's going to work because what she wants is profit. Um, then he does the thing that he has to do. And I honestly, I mean, what's weird is I don't know if there was anything else he could do. If he lets that trilithium resin go out, she gets rich, but this is not about her either way. What happens then is there's this incredible explosive that's just out there someplace that could turn up who knows where at some point. Sure. And killing that one person, he is saving many more, but that's still like a really weird thing for Picard to do. Unless we're just going to say, well, this is Die Hard on the Enterprise. And Die Hard on the Enterprise is not a lot of McLean going, well, now, hold on, Hans. Have you thought about it this way? <laughs> I think it's totally fair to look at it that way. If you want to call it Die Hard on the Enterprise, which, well, everybody on the production called it Die Hard on the Enterprise, then so be it. With nearly every evildoer deceased, it is time to see what we can take from Die Hard. I mean, Darmok. I mean, Enemy Mine. You know, there was even a Die Hard 2 thing in this episode. What? Yeah, when he watches the uh, the shuttlecraft fly away knowing that it's going to explode. Mm-hmm. One of the few things I remember about Die Hard 2 is how the plane is taking off at the end. Spoiler alert, by the way, if you've not seen <laughs> Die Hard 2 and you're suddenly thinking you have to, first of all, you don't. Second, yep. um, I'm about to tell you how it ends. Um, it w- and the, the plane is taking off and it's leaking fuel and McLean throws his lighter on the runway and mm-hmm. it, it catches the, the, the fuel on fire, even the fuel that's like spraying out in the air as the plane's taking off and then he blows up the plane. And somehow lives through that like he does everything else. But anyway, mm-hmm. a little Die Hard 2 thing there. What can I say? Yippee-ki-yay. Let's move on. Because uh, right. it's the time now of the part of the show where we talk about the messages, morals, and meanings, if there are any, and whether or not the whole episode stands the test of time. And we will start with that question. Uh, Starship Mine, John, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Uh, so, Ken, if I were a cynical mission log host... Hey, um, that's my job. <laughs> then <laughs> then I, I would sit here with a list of complaints about how the, the small talk bits with data are just business for him to be doing. I, I would say that it's all action fluff. I would even make fun of uh, how on the nose the, the conversations among the prisoners are when they're at gunpoint by Orton. You know, they're just standing there talking and kind of all doing the same body language and trying to be really sly about it. I would say that we've seen it all before. Um, but, uh, there's no way that I will say those things about this episode, uh, because every little thing that would have been terrible in a less capable writer's hands absolutely works here. I I mean, uh, like I said, going back to the small talk thing that really could have just been a gimmick in another episode. Mm -hmm. But in some weird way, it actually works. It's actually played well as a joke. Yes. But as a way for data to study and learn something about human behavior, uh, it just somehow comes together and all the things that wouldn't otherwise actually do. Um, Plot holes here be damned. I know that there are plenty of things that we could pick apart about what doesn't work, but this is a pure 
action intrigue piece and it comes together. It gels. Um, I think it works best, though, because we're already so familiar with Picard and we're so invested in him. So this episode would not have been as satisfying had it come out in season one or season two, somewhere early on. I, I think now that we are so settled in with this cast, because we've seen Picard go through so much, that it's a good time to just sort of like kick back, um, just sort of decompress with a fun episode like this. Um, if it had come earlier, I, I think we might have felt cheated. Hmm. Just to say, like, oh, well, Star Trek's just throwing action at us because they couldn't come up with anything else to say. Well, we've seen Star Trek The Next Generation say a lot, and now feels like kind of the right time to do something that's a lot of fun. Um, they they held the tension nicely. Um, the show looks different from the other episodes because, of course, the lighting changed with all the power being down in the Enterprise. I think that's a nice touch. Um, mm -hmm. So there's so much of this that, that works for me that I would have to say that it holds up. How about you? I say it holds up because of the stuff that happens on the Enterprise. The stuff that mm -hmm. happens down on Arcaria base is really bad. <laughs> I mean, once once they're taken hostage, I mean, it's just bad yeah. I, and not bad enough to ruin it for me. Um, but I feel like whoever was I mean, whoever did the rewrite. So I guess it's Ronald Moore did the rewrite. Mm -hmm. He was definitely concentrating more on it seems to me. I shouldn't say definitely. Mm -hmm. It seems to me he was concentrating much more on what was happening on the Enterprise than he was what was happening down at the base. Because you're right that we don't even get a diagnosis that it's never explained to us that Hutch is, in fact, dead. Yeah. That they're able to just stand there and just say out loud. I mean, even down to when Riker goes over to have the, you know, the distraction conversation with Orton. I need to talk to you. I don't want to talk to you. Well, I need to talk to you. Okay, let's talk. Well, I'm going to hit you. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, I mean, that stuff is bad, but the, the good news is it's also short. What mm -hmm. happens on the Enterprise, I don't even know if there's any message, moral, whatever up there. Honestly, it is a, it is an interesting character study. It is interesting to watch Picard, you know, sort of work his way through the whole thing. And it's also interesting to see we're not to the movies yet. So we know the Enterprise isn't going to explode, but <laughs> we know that he would much rather see the Enterprise explode and see the five bad guys and himself die rather than let this toxin get out to a place where it could kill many more people and kill more, uh, many more you know, innocent people. Mm -hmm. So it's got great action stuff going. It's got great intrigue stuff going, as you say. It's got a great character study of Picard. I mean, those things are strong enough that the stuff that happens on the planet um, is, is, um, is forgivable. It's, it's honestly almost forgettable, uh, except, for the part with, uh, except for the part with Data. Uh, the one drag there is when he's like mimicking Hutch behind his back. He does not need to do that. But when he does start talking to Hutch, um, and when he does start, you know, doing the small talk with everyone as well, I mean, that actually is, it is funny. It's mm. great to get, you know, funny data that's not, here comes the joke, you know, but just, you see data instead just going into um, what is practically a different character. Yeah. Now, there may actually be, it's not a message exactly, but I did find it interesting that Hutch is completely clueless that all that's happening is data is mirroring back to Hutch exactly what he does. <laughs> yes. All data yes. is doing is being Hutch and Hutch is like, this is an incredibly interesting conversation. Yep. And they just keep me you know, like rolling straight through it and rolling straight through it. Um, that was actually kind of a neat thing to consider. Do I think there's a message there? Eh, not necessarily. Um, but I thought it was a, sort of an interesting moment. Um, there was, I guess, kind of like one message that I saw, but it's really trying to put a message to it. So don't don't I'm not saying obviously the episode was about this. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm not even going to go there. I, I, I don't think there's an intention of a message. It's just it's fluffy action fun. Yeah. Well, the one that, okay, but the one that I do have, if you were looking, mm -hmm. is the obvious one. Don't judge a book by its cover. Mm -hmm. Picard shows up with the bad guys, and he's bumbling, and he's stumbling, and he says that he's a barber. And they're like, okay, well, put the idiot in charge of him then, because who cares about a barber? Right. Do you know what I mean? I mean, they've got a potential danger right in front of them, and they don't see it, because they, you know, they, they, take, they take him at his word, basically. They probably should have just shot him. <laughs> but <laughs> that would have changed the episode a bit, I think. 
Um, yeah, but it's it's not. I mean, as you say, it's not a message episode. It's a it's a Yippie Kaye something Vulcan episode. Is that what mother, you said? Mother yeah. Vulcan. Yippie Kaye, Mother Vulcan. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> wow Do, does anybody sell star trek t-shirts i don't even know mission log is produced by roddenberry entertainment executive producer rod roddenberry you can find out more at roddenberry.com hey check out some of the other network podcasts like women at warp and priority one podcast you can find out more at roddenberry.com for other exciting star trek podcasts check out trek fm that's trek.fm and for the latest in star trek news and discussion be sure to visit trekmovie.com next week lessons Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I have been trying to remember this whole episode. Who played Hans Gruber in Die Hard? By Grab Thar's Hammer. I will think of it. And transmission. <laughs>